0: The horrific school shooting in Florida last week has people debating what, if anything, we as a society can do to prevent these kinds of tragedies. Is it better school security, armed teachers, gun control, mental health screening for students, or more attentive police work? Each proposal has its backers, all suggesting that unless we do whatever that proposal is, then we are sacrificing our children to further slaughter. It's interesting that we've totally inverted the meaning of that word, sacrifice. We use it to mean a senseless, tragic loss. Nobody wants to sacrifice anything, least of all their children. But sacrifice in the Christian sense is not about losing something. Sacrifice is the essence of our worship of God. Sacrifice is prayer with substance. It goes beyond mere thoughts and words, so that's actually offering something substantial to God the Father. So yes, on one level, in sacrifice, there is a kind of loss. The sacrifices of the Old Testament required that the Jews offer up their fattened animals, or the first fruits of their harvest. But while these things would be burned up in the offering, even they recognized that they were receiving something greater in return— which was the forestalling of God's divine judgment for sin. It's the same with the holy sacrifice of the Mass. God, in his desire to spread salvation as widely as possible, requires even less of us materially than he required of the Jews. The Mass only requires the sacrifice of a small amount of bread and wine and a validly ordained priest to offer it. Yet from the Mass, we receive the infinite merits of Christ's primordial sacrifice on the cross. And so it's with these eyes that we have to look again at the first reading. Many of us recoil at the idea that Abraham was willing to offer up his son Isaac as sacrifice when God requested it. Everyone cries, isn't that murder? How could God be commanding Abraham to violate the fifth commandment? The reason why Abraham could be willing to carry out God's command was because by faith he recognized that sacrifice is not ultimately a loss. God knew that Abraham knew that ultimately God would bring something far greater than the sacrifice that he was requesting. As hard as it might have been for Abraham to accept on some level, it would certainly test anyone's faith to be asked to sacrifice their son. Now we learn in the end that God didn't actually desire the death of Isaac. It was a lesson meant to show the limits of sacrifice under the Old Covenant. Because only the sacrifice of the blood of God's only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, could offer atonement for our sins. It alone could inaugurate the new and everlasting covenant. To understand the unique salvific quality of Christ's precious blood shed for us on the cross we have to understand something about the Jewish theory of sacrifice. In Judaism, the shedding of blood was the essential aspect of sacrifice. It's true that there were sacrifices of crops and other types of unbloody offerings that were made at times. But the highest form of sacrifice was blood. We see this in the account of Abraham preparing to sacrifice Isaac. Abraham built an altar and arranged wood on it. This was so Isaac's body could be burnt because our Lord said you shall offer him up as a holocaust, which means a burnt offering. Animals, however, were not burned while they were still alive. There was always a ceremonial killing of the animal first by the cutting of their throat and the sprinkling of their blood on the ground. This is something that kosher butchers do even today. This is why The reading points out that Abraham was about to take a knife to Isaac when the Lord implored him to stop. A true sacrifice of Isaac required the shedding of his blood, not mere burning. Because blood represents the life force of a person or an animal. To offer life itself as a sacrifice is the highest worship that we can give to God. This is why Jews were prohibited from consuming blood, because it would be taking for themselves something that could only be offered to God. And this is why the holy sacrifice of the Mass is the re-presentation, not representation, but re-presentation of the holy sacrifice or the sacrifice that Christ offered on the cross where his precious blood was shed for the salvation of all. And this is why in the Mass, we offer the precious blood of Christ in the chalice to the Father for mercy. By God's grace, the Mass is for us an unbloody re-presentation because God, in his grace, allows for Christ's blood to be present to us in the unassuming forms of bread and wine, which we do not just offer, but also receive back in communion for the sake of our salvation. But the sacrifice of the new covenant is not only present in the Mass, because the graces that flow from the Eucharistic sacrifice offered by the ordained priest, all believers become priests capable of making sacrifices to God in their own lives. This is why always, but especially in the Lenten season, we are called to make the sacrifices of prayer, fasting, and almsgiving, even though these two are unbloody sacrifices, because they conform themselves to the sacrifices of the Mass and the historic sacrifices of the Old Covenant, when we, when we remember that the essence of sacrifice is blood, because blood is the life force or essence of the person. Our works of prayer, fasting, and almsgiving must be truly life offerings. They have to constitute a substantial expenditure of our life force that God gives to us in his mercy. Our Lenten disciplines can't just be little things that we do here and there in occasional moments of piety. Our Lenten offerings must be offerings in spirit and in truth. Although unbloody, hopefully, they must constitute the true pouring out of our lives, in love, sacrifice, and obedience to God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.